Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time for another weekly journey that we call Living Hope, designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer, sharing the real-life stories of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis with our host. Lori does a smile somehow when she has these conversations. I think she looks forward to having these conversations, as do we, Roberta Luna. Welcome. So much work. Yeah, Roberta comes all the way into the studio just so we can set up a Zoom call here because she has and says we're going to put her in the studio and have the picture and picture, but she likes to see the guests here. So that's what we're doing today. I just like to get the reaction and just, I don't know, it's as close as I can get as actually being with them. So I just. I showed everybody real quickly what it looked like, kind of, and then we back to just the Zoom call here. So I want to make your life more difficult too, right? (laughs) Yeah. So who'd you bring with you today to make our life less difficult? Well, today I have Ken Parmy joining us. He's a husband, father, grandfather, author, singer, songwriter, and pancreatic cancer survivor. That's a lot of behind your name. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today and sharing your journey with us. How would you define yourself or how do you think you would like others to think of you? I know a lot of times we don't want to be pancreatic cancer survivors first and foremost. So. Yeah, it was quite an interesting journey and it's one that continues to this day actually Uh, I was diagnosed in 2012 Uh, I used to be a real exercise fanatic I ate well I think I only missed power walking maybe three times in 10 years I was really tried to take good care of myself and my wife used to walk with me sometimes and kept getting sick and I couldn't even keep up walking with her which was unusual because i used to be able to smoke her walking because i did it all the time you know now i couldn't even keep up with her i started losing weight i had this constant pain in my abdomen and i thought i pulled a muscle doing pull-ups because i mean i was in my mid-50s and i was trying to stay young you know taking care (laughs) of i'm doing pull-ups i thought i probably pulled a muscle or something but my wife she said look you, you need to go to a doctor there's something wrong so i did i went to my pcp and he's a great doctor and uh, he said you look fine all your vitals i'm going to do some blood work well the blood work came back and said i was a bad diabetic my sugar was off the charts so he started me on insulin right away so in the meantime i keep going you know keep living but i just keep getting more sick and then before you know it i was starting to go into jaundice a little bit you know and right before that happened my wife said look this doctor is a good doctor but you need a specialist you need to see an endocrinologist so she made me an appointment with an endocrinologist now i didn't even know what an endocrinologist (laughs) was you know so she got me the appointment and i went in and i explained to her what was happening she said look today i want you to go get a ct scan so she sent me over and I got a CT scan and, and then on the way home, she called and I knew then, I mean, we both knew we weren't looking for good news at that point. So we went back to her office and they said, yeah, well, there's a mass on your pancreas and it's most probably cancer. So right away they put me in, they did the biopsy and everything. And within a week I was into chemo and I did four months of 5-FU, then I did a few sessions of cyber knife radiation, 
And then I went back and I did eight more months of Abraxene and Gemstar is what they were using at the time. So I did that for a year. And my doctor, who's a very good doctor, Dr. Bahari, he's, he's pretty well known. He said, I, I just can't give you any more chemo. He said, I'm killing you with this chemo. The tumor hasn't shrunk. It's wrapped around your vessels and laying on your aorta. And we just don't know if there's anything we can do. So what we have to do is we have to stop the chemo because we don't want to kill you. So they stopped the chemo and that there was about eight years ago. So I'm still what they call stable. You know, the tumor, it hasn't spread and it hasn't grown. But they're very careful with me because, as my doctor explained to me, that for that tumor to be dead, he would have had to have killed billions of cells. And he, he said that's so unlikely. So, but I mean, now it's been eight years. So, you know, you don't want to get ahead of yourself. But, <laughs> but that's a heck of a lot better than what they had expected. You know, when I first went in there, they said, look, we're, we're going to try to get you a good two years. In fact, if you were older, they told me, we wouldn't even treat you. We'd just kind of let this take its course. But you're pretty healthy, and you're only in your mid-50s, and you take care of yourself, so you might be able to uh, withstand this treatment. And uh, so that's the way it worked. And so it's been uh, eight years. You know, nobody will say that I'm cancer-free or anything like that. They just call it being stable because there's no way to get in there to find out, you know? And he yeah. doesn't poke the bear and go in there and like try taking some kind of biopsy or something. And I don't want him to, you know? Yeah, it's like if it's asleep, leave it alone, right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> don't, don't mess around. And, yeah. and so, so that's the state we're in right now. And then different things happen along the way. I found out that what had happened with that cyber knife radiation, it was kind of new when I got it and they didn't know a lot about it. Well, here, uh, the end results for me was it, it burned my intestines and my bowel. So it gave me some motility issues. And so they said they treat it like Crohn's disease. It's not Crohn's disease, but it's the same kind of symptoms. So they put me on a new regimen of uh, medication and I'm still trying to decide if it's working or not. There's, you know how that goes. Everything's yeah. up. But other than that, I mean, I'm, I'm doing way better than anybody ever expected. Yeah, and I think we share that. I didn't realize we we actually share a lot. My tumor is in the same about the same location and unable to go and remove it surgically. So I did chemo for a number of years. And then they put me on a oral Tarsiva that was working really well as far as keeping it. You know, it, it didn't spread. It might grow a little bit, but then it would shrink back down, but never shrink enough away from the artery to go in and take it out. But for whatever reason, my last chemo was in 2018. So, and it's, you know, like, like you, they keep a close watch on it, but it's not doing anything. So we're keeping our fingers crossed. And like you say, just let the, the sleeping giant sleep and don't wake him up, right? No news is good news. No. <laughs> That's right. Can you explain a little bit? Because I know a lot of people don't know what the cyber knife is. So can you explain how that was done and what you went through with that? I'll tell you what, it is one of the most interesting things I, I had ever seen. What they do is they actually go down your throat and they have these little gold beads like the size of rice and they go down your throat and they stick them right on the tumor and then they 
of course come back out and then what they do is they strap you to this radiation machine into the bed and the machine goes around you like 360 degrees and what happens is that radiation beam hits those targets that are right on your tumor from every angle that they can hit going around you 360 degrees so that beam is more focused now because it's that focused it's a little bit more radical which is probably why uh, excuse me why i ended up with my intestines being burned in that it, back then i don't know what the session time is now but back then it was three sessions each session was a half hour long and then that was it that and i'll tell you what there was like no side effects to that 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 was what was really nice too because you're battling all that chemo crap you know and so the worst side effect on that was i felt a little bit weak sometimes you know but other than that it, it was nothing and i i really attribute that to a lot of the reason why my tumor's not growing because i can't think of any other reason i don't know if the chemo would have done that on its own you know i think it needed that extra push from the radiation yeah it, it's it's hard but just be think we're thankful that you are still here and, and sorry you had to go through all that but you said there were there weren't any side effects with not, the, not, oh. radiation like i said oh i did i felt a little bit weak in my legs you know what i mean just real little bit not much i mean i still i still went to work you know so yeah, I worked through it. I, I worked for five years after I was diagnosed. But the problems I ran into, I was having real bad diabetes problems and my sugar would dip real low for no apparent reason and I'd forget things and it, it just was becoming a problem. And I was already going to retire in a couple years. So I thought, why go through another two years of this and put other people through it too? You know, I may yeah. as well retire now. So I went on disability after that. Now they're, they're saying that now they're looking at onset diabetes from pancreatic cancer. Do you think that your diabetes was caused from that or have they given you any idea or any indication of that? That seems to be, it's like the chicken or the egg question. <laughs> no, no, nobody really knows for sure. You know, is it the diabetes comes first that goes into the cancer or is it that you have the cancer and it causes the diabetes? Now, the last I had heard, they'd been doing studies on it, but I haven't looked up any results. Yeah. Not that you wanted to get anything, of course, but it's almost like maybe it was a godsend to get the diabetes because that led to finding out about your pancreatic cancer and hopefully the early diagnosis, you know, getting the early detection is why you're still here are one of the reasons oh it saved my life you know same with my wife you know you know guys have a tendency to just like blow things off and when my pcp said ah you know you got diabetes i was like okay you know yeah <laughs> and so it caused more concern and my wife made me an appointment with the endocrinologist well, thank goodness for her, right? <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. yeah. And speaking of your wife, Rebecca, or does she like to be called Becky? or? Uh, I call her both, but okay. usually <laughs> Rebecca. Most people call her Rebecca. I know the two of you got together, and you wrote a book in the, the gaze of divine life with pancreatic cancer. I don't know if I can. Yeah, oh, that's it. it is. It's kind of blurry, but. 
Anyway, yeah. I guess it's not going to show, but you can find it on Amazon. I actually, I just started. I haven't, you know, gotten real into it, but I've just started and skimmed through it. And I am actually enjoying it. You have some good things there. You want to just give us a little summary, though, what, what your book is about and how you came about writing it? Yeah, sure. I wrote it because uh, it was an experience I felt that needed to be shared. Because I see when you have pancreatic cancer, at least I was blissfully unaware of most things that went along with that. I mean, I didn't know anything about pancreatic cancer. And, and I find that most people that were diagnosed were like pretty much in the same situation, you know. Yeah. So, so I, I was talking to my wife. My wife's a great journaler. You could go back 40 years and see what a jerk I was, like 40 years. I, I know someday my kids, after I'm gone, are going to make movies out of some of this stuff. I Because my wife's kept journals all those years. So I said, I think it's a good idea, her being the caregiver and me being the patient, if we could write a book from two different perspectives, you know, use her perspective as the caregiver and my perspective as the patient and what was going through us at the same time, you know. And so that's basically what the book is. It's it's Becky's descriptions of what was going on and my descriptions of what was going on. And when we cover a lot of ground in it, it's not a long book. I just wanted it to be interesting and to let people know that there's hope out there. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I, like I said, I just started it, but I am enjoying it and reading some of your poems that you've written and put in there. It's been great. And I've also, I found it really interesting, some of the metaphors that you use talking about the challenges and obstacles in pancreatic cancer. And I'm kind of fair, uh, fair praising a little bit when I say you, you talk about dying, you say in the end, you either jump in the ri river willfully or the river just takes you anyhow. <laughs> And you tell kind of when you get the news about the big C, it's like having kids. I like your comparison. And I think my favorite was though was the whack-a-mole mentality. You want to just talk a little bit about those about those the metaphors that you did? I think they're great. Yeah, the whack-a-mole, you know, that's something anybody that's in chemo goes through that whack-a-mole situation. You're always chasing something, you know. One minute you're doing fine. And I went in for chemo one time, and my platelets had dropped down to 17. They were supposed to be between 250 and 350. Well, they dropped down to 17 because that Gemstar, I guess, was just eating them up. So my doctor cut back on the Gemstar, and then what he did was didn't treat me that week at all. He instead gave me an infusion of platelets. And that way they were able to come back up. It took a couple of weeks, but they finally came back up. But right in the middle of that going on, you also have other things going on. You got problems with your digestive tract, mm -hmm. your diabetes is freaking out. So, so you're dealing with all these different meds and lifestyle type changes that you're trying to, to deal with. And it's like whack-a-mole. It's just one thing after another, you know, and, and I think anybody, who's gone through these treatments can relate to that. I know you can, right? Yes, yeah, oh, most definitely. Like I said, that one, I mean, I, I like the other ones as well. Like I said, just the comparison of the river and, and the, the having kids. But the one that really attracted me was the whack-a-mole because I yeah. definitely well, can understand that. With, with the kids, what I meant was uh, 
you might think you know what having kids is like, but you don't know until you actually have them, you know, and, and it's the same with cancer. You, you can maybe get an idea, but you don't really know until it happens to you, you know, and like my wife, I know that she suffers as much as I do through a lot of that, but in a different way. You know, it's it's not apples and oranges per se. It, it's partnership, you know, and it's sharing your suffering together. And it's hard, I think, in life to find people that actually want to do that. So I'm really fortunate to have a wife like that. We just celebrated our uh, 44th anniversary. And uh, I'm glad she chooses to stick around. I'll say that. You know. <laughs> yeah, well, congratulations. I know Vic and I are on the same. We're just, and I can't, I always have to stop and count. I know it's 45 at least. Okay. <laughs> and, and, you know, and it's like, like the river, you know, jumping in the river. It's, it's dying. We're all going to die eventually, and we're either going to go and be okay with it, or we're going to fight it tooth and nail. Yeah, and, and that's up to each individual. You can't tell anybody how to deal with things like that. You know, all you no. can do is be there. That's it. Yeah, you're right. And I think, you know, probably you guys as well, when you, you know, you take those vows and you say in sickness and health, you're always into the health part. You never really realize or even think about the sickness part. So I think we're both very lucky to have our spouses. Um, Vic has been wonderful as well, you know, so and then I what will we do without them, right? I'd be lost. I'd be yeah. lost. And fortunately, I've gotten to see uh, three more grandchildren born that I wouldn't have seen if I'd have died within those two years, you know? And, and that, I believe me when I say I do appreciate how fortunate I am. I do not take any of this lightly, not for a minute, because I see the other end way too often. Yeah, I, I know it's something, I mean, there's unfortunately so few of us, and I know I always enjoy going back to Advocacy Day, but part of the sadness, too, is seeing those that we've lost that didn't return. So um, it is something we don't take for granted, and I know I saw this in your book, and it, it, and it struck with me because it was something that I talked to my doctors about as well, and my medical team is, why am I still here when others, you know, in my opinion, are much better people, so why are they not surviving? Why am I still here? And I know your doctor said this to you, and this is the same thing my doctor said, is neither God nor the devil wants anything to do with you, so, you know, that's and, and that's perfectly fine, and I've also had somebody tell me because I'm not perfect yet, so... I'm willing not to be perfect for a very long time. I want to, you know, stay here. And if I can help one person, then obviously that's why I'm still here. So, and I don't know if you have any thoughts as, you know, on that end as well. One of the things that I, I don't appreciate, and I try to be nice about it, is when people come up and say things like, wow, God really has his hand on you, or, or boy, God's got a special purpose for you. And I think about all my friends who died from this, and I'm like, yeah, but I believe God was with them too, you know? Yeah. And, and I think it's a poor way to measure anything at that point. You, yeah. you understand what I'm saying? Don't get me wrong. I'm grateful. I believe, and I'm so grateful to be here. But don't say things like that when we're watching so many people around us not make it. People who are way better people than I am. You know, people that are way more faithful than I am, I've yeah. watched go from yeah. this. 
you know. That so, was my point as well, as I know people. I mean, in my opinion, they're much better people than I than I am, a much better person, and they could do much more good here, I think. So why is it that I'm still here? And I know that's something, you know, that I t wanted to touch on, too, is people want to be encouraging, and they offer advice like, be strong, keep the faith, um, everything happens for a reason, like you just brought up. God ha must have his, you know, hand on you. It's, what should we say to somebody? I know what we shouldn't say, but what are some things we can say to be encouraging, but not be so offensive as well? Yeah, for, for me, it's always just like, hey, hang in there. Do you need something? I'm there for you. You need to talk? I'm there. Whatever you need, you know? And, and I think that's the best way to approach anything. Uh, service, service towards those who are ill. It is not only a religious function, you know, it's, it's a human function. It's, it's, it's our humanity that, that calls us for that. You know, you don't have to be religious, you know? So, so what I, I, I always uh, try to think of it as just a matter of wording. People mean well, like you say, but sometimes the words don't come out like they mean to. I had a guy one time tell me, we were talking, me and him and his wife, and uh, I had just been diagnosed not long before that. And he said, oh, my dog has cancer. <laughs> and I could see his wife, she was just mortified that, that he even said that. But he just kept going because he didn't mean anything by that. He was just trying to find a way to relate, you know. So I don't have a problem with that, you know. Yeah, I think sometimes when, you know, we're trying to tell somebody or we're telling them, they don't know how to react. They don't know what to say to us. And, you know, so it's always like, what do you say? And sometimes if you say some of the strangest things come out of our mouth. I know strange things have come out of my mouth. So, you know, it's it's just trying to just trying to be there, be encouraging and let them know that you're there if they need anything. And, you know, it's a, a difficult time. And how did when you had to tell your children how did they take it and what were they really young when you told them how old were they i don't remember my kids were all pretty much in their 30s mm -hmm. uh, now they how they broke it to their kids i thought was really good the way my daughter broke it to her younger ones uh she was just real a matter of fact about it but very compassionate and that you know we just got to be there for pap and what you know whatever we can do we'll do and hopefully he'll pull through but this is serious you know and uh she broke it to them real good and then that's kind of the way we we broke it to our kids too like i say even though they were older but we had always tried to be open with our kids when i was a kid my sister died and i was not expecting it in the least here it turned out she had leukemia and I was nine and she was six, but my folks never told me that she was real ill like that. I just knew she went to the hospital sometimes and stuff like that. And then one night they came home and they said, uh, your sister died. And, and I was in total shock. I had no idea that I was going to hear that. And it affected me. And it affected me so much that like when we had kids and my wife's the same way. We always decided, no matter what it was, we would share it and be open about it and leave it open for discussion. Because I don't want any shocks. You know, you can get hit in the head with something. There. Yeah, <laughs> I don't exactly. want. To, I don't want to send anyone into shock. I know what that did to me. I think it would have been a lot better for me if I'd have had some inkling. Yeah. You know. 
Yeah, we, we were honest. I mean, our kids are different ages too, but uh, we try to be just open throughout everything, but even before my own diagnosis and when we were going through it with my dad, it's just, like you said, I think it's best to lay it out all on the table so that nobody is surprised. It, it just feels so much different when you get that shock rather than kind of trying to understand what's happening. And Any words of wisdom you have for those that are being diagnosed or um, that you can share with anybody? Well, I'll tell you, this is a time where, and you see it too, they're coming out with more and more type things, you know? So if you're going into this, try to be hopeful. That's the big thing, man. Just try to be hopeful. My doctors used to tell me they were going to try to keep me alive till the next big thing, you know? And that's basically what they were trying to do. And now there's a lot of things that are good that are happening. So I'd say just, man, keep hopeful yeah that's the best thing you can do don't let anybody uh, take your hope away because sometimes i think that's all we have well can i want to thank you very much for sharing your journey with us today and i would really love to have you come back and talk some more because i want to talk more about your book and i know you've written a, a children's book that i'm waiting to get so i can read as well and just talk about all the other amazing things that you're doing so i'd love to have you come back and talk with us some more. And also, I just want to do our, our little dedication we do at the end of, of every episode. And June is National Cancer Survivors Month. And you know, as a survivor, our support team is very important to us, especially our caregivers. So I'd like to dedicate this episode of Living Hope to your wonderful wife, Rebecca, and leave you with a quote she wrote from her book. May we all get your book, I'm sorry, both your books. May we all get to the place where we can accept let go and focus on the blessing of the day. I just love that. And I want to thank you for sharing and both of you for writing this book. I will enjoy finishing it. And again, we want to have you back and talk more about your book. Oh, I'd lo I love it. I love to see you. Always oh, me too. Yes. Thank you. Next time we'll see each other in person, hopefully soon. Sounds good. Great. Thank you, Ken. Really do appreciate you being here. Oh, hey, it was my pleasure. Thank you. There you have it, folks. One more great reason to tune in each and every time to our show, Living Hope. The one show, maybe the only show, that talks about this journey. To provide hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer. Sharing the real-life stories of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they all deal with it. Friends, family, community on a daily basis. If you'd like to share your own story, please contact us here at OC Talk Radio. Or you can reach out through a variety of other ways. Find Roberta through social media and whatnot. And if you and anyone else you know need something more specific, you need help right now. Lots of places we've pointed out. One of them is PanCan. The patient services at 877, the number 2, P-A-N-C-A-N. For more help and information, call us and we'll put you in touch with an organization near you. 8772 PANCAN is the place to start for Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. So I'm Paul Roberts for the OC Talk Radio Network. Thanking you for joining us, inviting you to join us again, and hoping that you'll share the journey with someone you know.